Let me just ask you first here, what do you think the prospects are by making some kind of deal by the end of the week? You know, I've been discussing this with the uh, deputy whip uh, and uh, several other more experienced members. It seems like we're in unchartered territory. Uh, nobody has a consensus. Uh, <laughs> literally 50-50, I'm like, give me a percentage. Uh, nobody wants to give me a percentage. Most people are saying, I have no idea. And I think the reason is because the most recent experiences we've had uh, gave us the idea that when you seem to get a couple people on board, two more people drop off. And shipping sands, it's literally like when you think it's about one thing, it could be about another thing. When you have five people voting against a rule, but literally there's three different reasons of those five people that they're voting against the rules. So when we address one issue, two more people drop off. Um, it's very difficult to pin this down and to figure out who's going to be the next person when you're talking about 218 people getting on the same page to pass a bill uh, or to even pass a rule. Uh, sometimes it's very complex, especially in this political climate where a lot of times you're rewarded for, for being the no person. You can actually raise a lot of money for being the no person. And, it, and you can get a lot of media for being the no person. So uh, there's a certain allure to that, uh, that, that some people have been drawn to that flame, if you will. Uh, but I'm hoping we can have some very sensible conversations, do what's right for the country, do what's right for the conservative movement, so we don't lose the message, lose our momentum. We're doing things we haven't done when we had a 20-vote majority, which is a four-vote majority, and I think that's something to really hang our hat on if we can get this done. I heard you on a C-SPAN interview. I think this may be the most succinct uh, summation of this whole thing that I've heard. Almost everybody is doing their best. There are a few who are not doing their best, and they're holding everybody else hostage. Well, I hope I didn't say it exactly like that, but uh, uh, when <laughs> I say everybody's doing their best, um, even those people who are holding out think they're doing their best, I, I would hope anyways. Uh, it's hard to judge another person's heart, uh, but I think they're misguided if they think they're going to get something more conservative about this at this point. Uh, quite frankly, if you save $300 million, but cost us $300 billion, you're not doing what the, the nation wants you to do. You're not doing what the conservative uh, uh, caucus sent you up here to do. Uh, it, it's thinking bigger than yourself. People have their certain one issue things that they're holding out for, but there's a reason there's a process. There's an appropriations process. There's a way we vote on bills uh, uh, several steps away. I, I didn't realize how complex it was to get a bill across the line in a, in a functional way where you don't end up with an omnibus bill. We're doing that. And we should be proud of that. But when you when you don't get your way and you, you hold out even on, on voting for something, I don't think that's the way it was designed. It's not it's not the Republican way. It's not the conservative way. And it's certainly not uh, what you agreed to as a caucus. How solid is your support for Speaker McCarthy or not? I, I think Speaker McCarthy is not going anywhere. Uh, I know he has at least 50 people that are McCarthy or die. And, and if. If that's the case, what's your alternative? And when people talk about replacing McCarthy, and there aren't too many of them, by the way, it's it's pretty pretty small uh, percentage of people, they have no alternative. So that's not really a conversation. Let's have a real conversation. Here, here's what I, what I see the speaker doing. And, and whether you like the speaker or not, what he's doing is bringing everybody in the room and saying, you tell me what you want to do. If you don't like what we're doing, you tell us as a conference what your better idea is. And that's a hard thing to do. When you get in front of your peers, when you get in front of over 200 people and you have to say, well, if I was McCarthy, I would do this. 
it changes the dynamic a lot because quite frankly, uh, I heard one person uh, tongue in cheek say, welcome to Congress where all options suck. And uh, I think it's really important to, uh, to realize there's a real conversation of if you think you can do better, and you've seen this in church too, right? I always like to compare the Republican Party to a church. Some people come into church is like, I know how to, I, I'm the true conservative. I understand the Bible better than anybody else. Everybody else is lost but me. You have those people who divide the church. You have other people who unite the church. Um, there, there are people that literally think they can do it better. They go up to the minister and give the minister ideas, right? We should be doing this. Congratulations, you'll be in charge of this. That's what I like to say. And I think McCarthy's done a good job of bringing people to the table and saying, what do you really want out of this? And how do you think this is realistic? Because quite frankly, yes, you have probably 37 Freedom Caucus members or somewhere around that, but you also have around 70 Main Street people. And you have people who are in precarious positions where they're actually in a D plus two seat, but they won their, their election. You have other people who are in R plus 23 seats. They're gonna think differently the way they approach this, how they raise funds, uh, how they message uh, some of that self-serving, other it actually has to do with the good of the nation. And, and so I think all those things have to be considered, and that's not an easy thing. In your uh, role there on the Foreign Affairs Committee, you've got special concentration and concern, and, and in, from your own experience as well, about the war and aid, literal life and death aid is tied up in all this. You know, wh what's your view of that? Are you talking about Ukraine? Yes, sir. Yeah, Ukraine's a hot topic right now, both, both sides, by the way. Uh, this is not universally accepted by the Democrats or the Republicans. I heard about that on C-SPAN today. Um, one of the things I think is interesting, if, if you do historical context, and, and I'm a big history buff, I read history all the time, just to kind of give me perspective. Uh, history does not repeat itself. Every, every situation is unique. Uh, I'm reading a book right now called uh, A Skeptic's Guide to U.S. History, and it's basically a lectureship series. And it goes over every single war we've ever been in. There's never been universal support for war. Even when we went into, actually one of the most popular wars we ever got into, the most rapid, was Iraq. And that didn't have universal support. But at the time, it was very, very popular, over 70% popularity. Um, everybody was six boom ball, both sides, both parties. Everybody was cheering for this war. And then it became unpopular over time. Um, I think it's important to realize that no matter what conflict we're involved, let's be clear, we're not at war. We're supplying a country with arms to fight a war. We're using 5% of our reserve munitions uh, that's basically would otherwise expire to supply a, a country with the munitions to fight an aggressive communist regime that's invaded them in Europe. We've had relative peace and security in Europe for about 80 years. That's, that's pretty much a record in Europe. If you look at it historically, they've been at war for since they've existed, since Roman times. Uh, it's very rare where you go an entire century without a war in Europe. Uh, this has been a relatively peaceful period of time in that, and a large part of that is because of the existence of NATO. Now, remember, Russia tried to join NATO. They would have been disruptive, just like they are in the UN. 